Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. I know we're in this series in 1 John, and I told you when I started it, when we got to Christmas, we'd probably take a pause and then pick back up in our 1 John series at the first of the year. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, I want to I begin today a four-week sermon series just centered around the nativity, centered around the Christmas story. And, uh, and we're going to start unpacking some of the characters and some of the individuals in the, in the Christmas story. And some of them I'm going to be speaking about, you probably have never read their name. Matter of fact, there's some of them that are kind of in, in, if you will, not necessarily at the nativity scene, but in the Christmas story when you look at the big picture of what was taking place that most likely we, um, we don't really pay much attention to. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the forgotten Christmas tree, okay? The forgotten Christmas tree. Whenever I say the forgotten Christmas tree, what I'm really talking about is the family tree of Jesus. And I want to, this, this whole message is a message that's going to be centered around the theme of grace. Whenever you go back and you trace the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whenever you look at his family tree, there's really only one word that describes that. And it's grace. Because there are a lot of individuals that you scratch your head and you think, really? They are in the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ? And they are. And it's all because of God's grace. And I think sometimes we as believers and we as Christians, we're all excited about God giving grace to us. But then we're sometimes not real excited about giving grace to others. Are you with me? So I, and I know our small groups are in this study on grace, and, but this, this sermon really just centers around that theme, and it just echoes that, if you will. So we're going to look at some of these Christian characters. We're going to begin in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse number 1. If you want to get your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I'm not going to read that just yet, uh, but you, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse number 1. Now what we find here is a is a long list of names from verse 1 down through verse number 17 there are over 40 names that are mentioned here in this passage of scripture now i know this thanksgiving uh we always decorate the house for christmas on thanksgiving afternoon or evening after we have our thanksgiving meal then we as a family drag up and my son loves this he loves getting all the stuff out of the basement and dragging it all upstairs that's kind of his job and then it's our job to kind of put it together uh, but we do that as a family. Well, while we were decorating for Christmas, the old Christmas show that most of us have seen many, many times, uh, Christmas with the Cranks. You ever seen that? Where the, where the Cranks, what do they want to do? They want to what? Skip Christmas, right? Well, probably most of you guys do not want to skip Christmas, but you probably do skip Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, down through verse number 17, whenever you jump in and start reading the Christmas story. Because it's a whole list of names that are hard to pronounce. We look at this list of names and we think, boy, 
Matthew's got this wonderful, exciting news to share about the birth of Jesus Christ. And he starts out this gospel with this list of names that are very difficult for us to read. Some of them we are familiar with. Some of them we don't have a clue who they are. But nonetheless, Matthew puts that passage of Scripture in for us to read. So we're going to look at these names and what I... What I'm going to give you the pleasure of doing right now is the pleasure of laughing at me as I try to read verses 1 through verse number 17 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 1, okay? So I promise you, for all you uh, that are just real particular about pronouncing all these names just right, and I had a, uh, I had a professor at Bible College, boy, he, he would make us stand and read stuff like this, and he would get upset if we do not pronounce the names correctly. Well, you know what? For me, that was more than 20 years ago. So I'm kind of past that, right? Uh, So I am going to butcher this really, really bad, but I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that most of us just skip over. We're like, oh, begat, 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 begat. Where's Joseph? We know Joseph. Mary, now we'll start reading, right? So uh, let's go back and let's look at these names real quickly. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, I love verse 1. I'm going to unpack that one for you here in just a moment. It says in verse number 1, The historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now here we go. I'm going to ask you to please show me some grace. Okay? Matter of fact, I thought I would, I thought I would do something. I told Brother Paul earlier. I said, Paul, I was thinking I will have you read my scripture for me today. And uh, he said, sure, I'll do it. And I said, well, it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. And he said he would do it anyway, but I didn't want to do that to him. So here we go. Verse number 2. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. And Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Aram, and Aram fathered Aminadab, and Aminadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. Woo! Got through that. Here we go, verse 7. And then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife, and Solomon fathered Rehoboam, Rehoboam, Rehoboam fathered Abijah, and Abijah fathered Asa, and Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, and Joram fathered Uzziah, and Uzziah fathered Jotham, and Jotham fathered Ahaz, and Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, and Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, and Manasseh fathered Amon, and Amon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And then after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shiltel, and Shiltel fathered, please show me grace, fathered Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel fathered Abud, and Abud fathered Elikim, and Elikim fathered Azor, and Azor fathered Zadok, and Zadok fathered Achim, and Achim fathered Elud, and Elud fathered Eleazar, and Eleazar fathered Mathen, and Mathen fathered Jacob. Who will praise the Lord for Jacob? And Jacob, <laughs> and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
And so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until, uh, until the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, you say, why take time and read those names? And I promise you, I butchered those, okay? You want to try it in front of everybody? No. I promise you I butchered that. But you get the point. you got all these names. And we look at that and we think, why in the world is that even in the Scripture? Why is that even there? Well, I believe it's there for a purpose. And I believe it's there for a reason for us. It's this whole long list of people. And what we're doing, we're tracing back the lineage of the Lord Jesus. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 says this. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, that even includes Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, down through verse number 17. Now, whenever you go and read the gospel accounts, you'll find the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that they all address the ministry of the Messiah a little bit differently. And I'm not going to unpack all the themes in each one of them, but I want to give you a brief overview, if you will, real quickly. For instance, Mark's gospel. Whenever you go to the gospel of Mark, you'll see that he jumps right into action. And he starts teaching us and telling us about the ministry of John the Baptist. And then when you take John's gospel into account, you'll find that he will trace the origins of Jesus all the way back to eternity. And he describes how the infinite became the infant for us in the gospel of John. Whenever you look at Luke's gospel, you'll see that Luke starts with John the Baptist, and then he goes to the birth of Jesus. And then in chapter 3, he unpacks the genealogy that goes backwards from Joseph all the way back to Adam. But in Matthew's gospel, his manner is to start with this forgotten family tree in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 17. And what he's doing for us, he's emphasizing something. In verses 1 through 17, Matthew is emphasizing the human heritage of the Lord Jesus. And then in the following verses, in 18 through 25, he then is emphasizing the holy heritage of the Lord Jesus. So I want us to unpack and lean into, if we can, a little bit of the human heritage of our Lord in verses 1 down through verse number 17. Now before I do, let me give you a few observations about these genealogies, okay? There's five things I want to say real quickly about them. You may want to jot them down or you may just want to listen. But first of all, number one, I want you to know that the genealogies in history were records of family history and they were often memorized. Back in the ancient days, they were memorized by the family members. I mean, most men in the family could memorize and they knew their family heritage, they knew their lineage, and they could trace it all the way back and they would memorize it because they really didn't have all the books and everything completely in writing for that. So it was something that they would memorize. Number two... I want you to know that the Bible has numerous lists of genealogies. I mean, the lineage lists are are numerous in Scripture. In the book of Genesis, Genesis alone, we find nine different lists 
of genealogies that are there. In First Chronicles, there are 17 chapters that are designated to who fathered who. Now that makes for some exciting reading, right? I mean, don't you, don't, aren't you really excited about running home and reading the 17 chapters in First Chronicles about all the lineages and the genealogies that are listed there? Most of us are like the cranks. We will skip that as well, right? Come on. It's okay. I've been there. I've done that. I'm like, oh. You ever, you ever got in this thing where you want to read the Bible through in a year and you get to something like this and the temptation is what? Oh. We, we do speed reading then, right? Most of the time because those names are so difficult. But there's a reason that they are there. Ezra and Nehemiah, they also give us nine different lists in those books as well. So there's a tremendous amount of value and weight that we really should be putting on these genealogies and and studying those out. Observation number three. These genealogies, they were used for three specific things. Number one, they were used to decide inheritance rights. Okay? So who was going to inherit what? They would look at the list of genealogies. They'd look at the lineage list, and they would see who was going to inherit what. It was also made uh, for land allotments to see who was going to get particular portions of land and also to organize the census, which is why we read in Luke chapter 2 where, where Joseph and Mary went to be taxed. They were there because of the census that was taking place. The fourth observation I want to give you is that priests were determined by genealogy. We know that all the priests in Scripture had to come out of the tribe of Levi. And we know they came out of the household of Aaron. And we discover that through the genealogies that are listed for us. Number five, my fifth observation is this. Don't get too hung up on genealogy. Okay? Some people, man, they get in there and it's almost like numerology and genealogy and they put those two together and they bring out some kind of a whole new theology altogether. Don't get too hung up on it. It's there for us to study, but it's just a, it's, it's painting with a very broad brush. We can't dig into too many details there. And matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 9 for us not to jump in too deep into those and put too much value on those types of lists that are there. Okay? So that's a little history and a little background on some of the genealogies. And I had to, had to share that with you so you get an idea why we even read that, verses 1 through 17. Let's look at verse number 1. Matthew real quickly jumps in verse number 1 and he gives us four very powerful points about the Lord Jesus here in this particular passage of Scripture. In verse number 1, look at that Scripture. The historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The first thing he tells us is that his name is Jesus. And the name Jesus just simply means the Savior. This is the Savior of the world. Folks ask me often, say, Pastor, can folks be saved apart from Jesus? The answer is no. Jesus is the Savior, right? Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by and through me. So Jesus is the only route, the only road to heaven. He's the only route and the only road to God. He is the Savior. Matter of fact, the angel, if you remember, came to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, and she said this, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus just literally means he will certainly save. Okay? So he's the Savior. 
By the way, aren't you glad that God sent us a Savior? Right? Why did He send us a Savior? Because we needed to be saved. We were lost, but now we are found, right? So He sent us a Savior. But then also He says, Jesus the Christ. He gives Him the title of the Christ. This title, the Christ, means He is the Anointed One. He is the Christ. He is the one that is qualified to take all of our sins and redeem us and save us from our sins. He is the Messiah. He is the Appointed One. He is the one that was prophesied about all these years in the Old Testament. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Okay? Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. He gives him a third title. He also says that he is the son of David. The son of David. Interestingly, David is listed before Abraham, and even through Abraham, or even though Abraham came first in history, in fact, I want you to see that David's name is mentioned five times in this genealogy. Well, why is that? Why is David mentioned so much? Because I think Matthew is establishing first and foremost that Jesus Christ is a direct descendant of David, and therefore he is qualified to be the king. Matter of fact, that's Matthew's theme. He wants to portray Jesus as the king. And one of the ways you can see that is in Matthew, I believe it's, I can't remember if it's Matthew 4, but whenever Jesus was led out into the wilderness to be tempted, in Matthew's gospel, it says that he was led out. Why? Because you lead a king. But in Mark's gospel, it said he was driven out. Why? Because you drive a servant. And, and Mark was showing him as, as a servant. So anyhow, here we see the son of David. There's one more title he gives Jesus. Not only Jesus, the Savior. Not only the Christ, the Messiah. Not only the son of David, showing that he was a direct descendant to be king. But also, I want you to look at the fourth one. He is the son of Abraham. Which just simply means that Jesus was Jewish. Okay? The son of Abraham. We know that Abraham surrendered all. And now we see that Jesus is the supreme servant who surrendered it all. So he is a descendant of Abraham. Well, with all that being said and all that backdrop, let's look into this, into this list. And I want to try to show you three groups of people that God uses. Now, you may fall into one of these groups today. Right? You may just fall into one of these three groups. But whatever group you're in, I want you to know that God can still use you whatever group you may fall in, just like He used these individuals. So let's look at this real quickly today, and let's look at this forgotten family tree of the Lord Jesus. Let's try to unpack this a little bit, and let's place each one of these names that I read, let's put them in one of three categories. Okay? Now let's look at category number one. I'm going to talk about the faithful. In the second category, I'm going to talk about the failures. In the third category, I'm going to talk about those that are forgotten. Alright? And you may fall into one of those three. But let's look first of all at the failures, or at the faithful, I mean. Let's look at the faithful, if you will. Here, these individuals are individuals that God uses, and we see their names in this list. Now, these are the names that really stand out to us. Okay? These are the ones that we look at, and most of them are listed in Hebrew chapter 11, the great roll call of faith there. But here we're going to lean into and unpack these faithful 
family members of the Lord that are listed in this genealogy. And they're going to jump off the page at you, and you're going to be very familiar with them because of their faithfulness. Well, first of all, there's Abraham. In Hebrews 11, in verse number 7, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. So Abraham's a great man of faith. And then there's Isaac. In Hebrews 11, 20, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to the future. So Isaac was a great faithful man. And then there's Jacob. In Hebrews 11, 21, it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of, his, each of Joseph's son and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So here we see Jacob's name. We see Ruth. She was a very faithful lady. We see David, 1 Samuel 13, 14. We know that he sought after God and he was a man after God's own heart. Then there's Solomon. We know that he was a faithful man. Then there's Asa. There's Jehoshaphat. There's Josiah. There's Hezekiah. All these individuals in Scripture we see were very faithful people. But here we find them in the lineage of the Lord. These faithful individuals. Now I want you to know this. God has always searched and has been searching and still is searching for faithful, devoted people to do His work. He's looking for people that are simply just faithful. He's looking for people that are devoted to Him to carry out His mission. Second Chronicles 16 and verse number 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. But here's the point I want you to get in this. Yes, all these individuals were faithful. Yes, all these individuals have great stories. And yes, most of them are in the roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter number 11. And most of them we put way up there and we just say, I don't know that I could ever be that faithful, but I want to try to be that faithful. Here's what I want you to get. Even the good need God's grace. Okay? These were faithful men and women in Scripture that are listed for us. And we can go back and we can unpack their story and we can see how, they, how man, they stood for righteousness and they stood for God and, and they were faithful to God and they were obedient to Him. But even in all of that, I want you to know that even the good need grace. Right? It doesn't matter how good you are because some of them are even flawed. I mean, these are faithful men and women. But some of them are flawed. I mean, just think about it, if you will. Abraham lied in Genesis chapter number 12. Jacob was a deceiver in Genesis chapter 27. Solomon slacked off spiritually in 1 Kings chapter number 11. Asa bailed out on God at the end of his life in 2 Chronicles 16. Hezekiah became proud. He was judged by God in 2 Chronicles 32. So the point is this. Even the good need God's grace, right? There's not a person in this room, I don't care if you're faithful or not, we all need God's grace, okay? Sometimes we, as Christians, we fall into this self-righteous type of mindset. And we really start judging other people. We, we love to receive God's grace, but we're not real good at giving God's grace. Are you with me? So I understand, it doesn't matter how faithful you are, and I hope and pray that we do remain faithful and devoted to the Lord. But even then, we still need God's grace. Because Romans 3.12 is still in the book when it says, All have sinned, all have turned away, all alike have become useless. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one of us. I had a lady many years ago in my ministry. 
She said, Pastor, I would like to hang out for you for a while and really see who you are. And I don't know why she wanted to do that. I thought I was pretty transparent. But she said, I really want to discover who you are. And I said, the best way for you to discover who I am is just go to your Bible and read Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 describes me to a T. As a matter of fact, it describes all of us. We're all sinners, right? And we all need to be saved. And we're all in need of a Savior, right? There are no perfect individuals. So here we see the faithful in this family tree. But let's look a little further. And I've got to hurry. I've probably already taken too much time. The second group I want us to see is not only the faithful. Let's look in this list in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. And let's look at some of the failures. I mean, there, there are some in this list that if I was listing my family tree, I probably wouldn't list them. Right? I mean, there are some in this list that will cause you to blush. When you go and read their story, you're like, holy smoke, they did that? I'm going to unpack one of those for you, and you're going to like blush maybe a little bit. I mean, if I was writing the book, and I believe if any man were really writing the Bible, the book, we would be tempted to leave out some of these bad apples. But I want you to know that every family tree has a few bad apples. Even the Lord's family tree had some bad apples, right? But here's the good news. Even the bad apples can receive God's grace, right? Because here we say they are brought into, and they are mentioned in Scripture, in the lineage of the Lord Jesus. Wow. I told some of the guys out front as I was coming in, they were talking about families and Thanksgiving and this and that and the other. I said that, you know, families are a whole lot like fudge, right? They're mostly sweet with a few nuts, Right? We all have a few nuts in our family. And I know this is going on a podcast, and my family's probably listening back in North Carolina, and they're wondering if they are a nut. Well, if, you, if you're thinking if you may be the nut, you may be the nut. Right? I'm just kidding. But families do have a few nuts in them. All of them do. So there's some twisted twigs in this family tree. There's some, there's some sorry spots, if you will. There's some scoundrels in this. Most of the time, we want to focus on the saints. But in this list, in verses 1 through 17, the Lord revealed to us some of the scoundrels, if you will. Some of the bad apples, some of the loose nuts, some of the twisted twigs. Let me give you a couple examples. I don't have time to unpack them all. I'm going to unpack one a little bit more than the rest. The rest of them I'm just going to hit for you. But let's look at Judah. I mean, Judah. Jacob had 12 sons. But for some reason, the lineage of the Lord ran through Judah. Now, this is very interesting because he wasn't the oldest, nor was he the favorite. But the lineage of the Lord ran through Judah. In Genesis 49.10, it states that the ruler would come out of Judah. When it says the scepter would not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff. And we find also that it's traced all the way to the end time in the Bible in Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 5. When it says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has, has triumphed. And he's able to open the scroll and it's sealed. So here in the climax of history in Revelation chapter 5, we find the lineage, the offspring of Judah is there. 
Now, whenever we read this, we must think, boy, Judah must have been a godly guy, right? This must have been a saint. This must have been a godly man. I mean, he's mentioned in Scripture at the beginning in Genesis. He's, his lineage is mentioned in Revelation 5 at the climax of all history. This must be a godly man, right? Well, maybe not. Actually, when you go and read Genesis chapter number 38, now you may just want to jot that down and go study this later. But whenever you go and read Genesis chapter number 38, you'll see that this guy was a twisted twig in this family tree. You'll see that this guy was a little bit messed up. But yet the lineage ran through, through Judah. We find, first of all, that he married a Canaanite woman. No, I'm not even going to joke about that. I'm not even going to say a thing about that. I'm going to move on. He married a Canaanite woman. Their children became spiritually schizophrenic. The older one was so wicked that the Lord takes his life. This son was then married to a woman named Tamar. That left her a widow without children. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 25, then the next brother was to take this wife, or take this widow as his wife, and bear children with her. But he refused to take her. So the Lord took his life. All right, we're unpacking a little bit of Judah now. Judah promised that his third son would take Tamar, but the third son procrastinated and never would take her as his wife. So then Tamar said, you know what? I'm just going to take things into my own hands because of the procrastination of the third son. The story's already bad. It's getting ready to get a whole lot worse. Are you with me? I'm talking about some of the failures. She hears that her father-in-law, Judah, is going to take a trip. So she comes up and she creates this wicked plan. She decided to disguise herself as a prostitute on the side of the road. Here comes Judah. He sees this prostitute. He talks to her. He pays for her. But he promises her that he will give her this wonderful goat if she would only lay with him. Well, he didn't have the goat with him. So he said, you know what? To give you a little bit of security deposit, I'm going to give you my ring. I'm going to give you my staff. I'm going to give you some of my personal items as collateral that I will get this goat to you. It's almost like giving someone your driver's license in our culture today, right? <laughs> what an idiot. That's what I'm talking about. There's some twisted twigs in this family. And here we see Judah does this, okay? So he gives her his ring. He gives her his cord. He gives her his staff. All of a sudden now Tamar, this lady that was supposed to have received now the third son of Judah, winds up laying, or lying, I always get that wrong, I butcher the English language too, with her father-in-law. Are you kidding me? Is that not kind of whack? Right? That's not normal. If I was writing the limit of Jesus, I may leave out Judah. Boys, just don't mention Oh, I just forgot to mention him. But here we find him listed. So she becomes pregnant now with twins, right? This brought a disgrace on the family of Judah. So then they all rose up and they said, let's have this woman killed. Let's have her killed. So as they're heating up the fire to have this lady killed, she is walking to her deathbed, if you will, because of the disgrace that she has brought on her family. 
And as she's going to be put to death, she says, guys, let me show you a few things. Let me reveal to you the father of these children. She hands them this ring. She hands them this staff. She hands them this cord. Judah now is humiliated. He is completely embarrassed at what has taken place. As a matter of fact, he says in verse number 26 of Matthew, or Genesis 38, he says that she is more righteous than I am. You see some of the failures that are listed in this family tree, but yet there's still grace being extended. In the midst of these family failures, grace is still presented. So here's, here's the application to that. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that through the broken, God breaks through. Everybody say that with me. Through the broken, God breaks through. You need to get a hold of that. Through the broken, God breaks through. I mean, do you think this family was devastated? Of course they were when that took place. But you want me to tell you what happened? God broke through. He redeemed this family. He showed them grace. And now she is listed in the lineage of Jesus whenever you go start to unpack the nativity scene in Matthew chapter 1 and following here you'll see that Judah is mentioned. You see, I don't know where you've been in your life but possibly there's been some failures in your life. And maybe even someone has spoken into your life and have told you that you are of no value, that you are of no use, that God can never use you because of your failures. I'm here to tell you just the opposite. I'm here to tell you that there is grace that God wants to give you. And I'm here to tell you today, if you just simply say, God, forgive me, I've messed up, He will restore you and He will use you even as He has done with Judah, right? That's a good spot for an amen. Are you guys with me this morning? There's a few more that are listed, but I'll hit them real quickly. What about Rahab? What do we know about Rahab? What we know about her is that she was the prostitute who helped protect the Hebrew spies when they went into Jericho. She, she actually was a liar and a prostitute. But yet we see her here in the lineage of Jesus. She's even mentioned in Hebrews chapter number 11. And then there's Bathsheba that's mentioned, right? Now, her name is not in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, but her reference is whenever she's referenced as Uriah's wife. What do we know about Bathsheba? We know that possibly, we don't know this for sure, but it may be that she enticed David by going on the rooftop of her house and bathing and getting naked there before him. It may be that she enticed him. I'm not saying it's all her fault. But I'm saying maybe there's some maybe there's some guilt there even with her. Right? She's the one, if you remember, that David lied, laid with, lied with, whatever, and committed adultery with, had a child, that child died, but yet she is mentioned. We go to Ahaz. Ahaz we see in Matthew 1 and verse number 9. We know that this was an ungodly king. As a matter of fact, the Scripture teaches us that he was buried without honor. He was a failure. So the application is this. Through our failures, God can make us fruitful. Are you with me? So a lot of times we look at our failures and people point fingers at us and our failures and think, boy, you just can't be used of God. I want you to know the opposite is true. God's grace can be extended to you even in your failures if you'll just call out to Him. And He can still use you in a wonderful way as He did these that are listed. Third group of people. Not only the faithful and the failures, 
My third and final one, and I'll close with this one, are the forgotten. Are the forgotten. As a matter of fact, whenever you go through this list, you see these faithful people, and then you see these other people that had failures in your life. But then there's some names in there that they would say that they're completely forgotten because we don't know a thing about them. What about Hezron? What do you know about him? The Bible really doesn't unpack anything about him. What about Ram? Who was he? All I know, they named a truck after him, right? That's really all I know about Ram. What about Azor? What about Achim? What about Zadok? We don't know anything about these individuals. So apparently they have been completely forgotten. No, 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 no. You see, they may have been forgotten by man, but they're never forgotten by God. He listed them in this lineage. They were certainly not forgotten in heaven. And boy, I love that. Well, let me give you a few closing lessons in all of this as I wrap this up. Lesson number one in all of this. Whenever we look at the faithful, whenever we look at the failures, whenever we look at those that may be forgotten. And by the way, if you feel like God has forgotten you, I promise you he hasn't. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're in need of. Here's a few lessons. Number one, lesson number one, history is his story. Boys, you go back and you start unpacking some of the history in Matthew 1 through verse number 17. What you're going to find is the story of our Lord, right? It's his story. The second thing, and I'm going to cut out some of that. The second thing is this. Lesson number two is you need to get in this tree today. You say, well, how can I get in the family tree? Well, the bloodline that runs backwards, you can't get into. But the one that runs forward, you can get into. Right? You can be a part of the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how is that? It's simply by trusting him as your Savior. Lesson number three, and the band can come with this one. Lesson number three, I want you to see that the glory of this genealogy, and I've been stating it over and over and over again, is the grace of God. The glory of this genealogy is the grace of God. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois. 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.